is Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. May God bless the reading of his word. That text that Aaron just read is so foundational. It's one of the key texts that all Christian theology and teaching must hinge on. Genesis 3. Before that, things were good. After that, everything has changed. Everything has changed. What would God do when humanity rebelled and did something different than what he commanded them to do? Jesus calls us to come to him to take from him, 
to learn from him and to find from him. So I'm going to come back to Genesis 3 in just a few minutes. But first, I'd like to think about what Jesus calls to his people and to you and I. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. This is the text that's printed in your bulletin. It's going to be our primary sermon text today. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. Come, meaning you are in one place and I'm inviting you to come to another place. That's what Jesus invites us to do. You are in one place and I'm inviting you to come to another place. You have to leave something and come to another place. And not to another place, actually, but to come to a person. Jesus says, come to me. Come to Jesus. Come to the one whom God has sent. Come to the one of whom it is taught he was born of a virgin, unique in human history. Come to the one who claims to be divine. Come to the one who's doing things that we've never seen before, healing the sick, raising the dead even, helping the deaf to hear, teaching unlike any other teacher we've ever heard before, so that even the religious scholars were astonished. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus doesn't say, come to church. Jesus doesn't say, I'm inventing a new religion, come to that. Jesus doesn't say, come, come to these rules. Jesus says, come to me. Come to a relationship with a person. Come relationally, come personally. Come as you are to me. Who is he inviting to come? All who are heavy laden. All who labor. The word labor there, just to make it abundantly obvious, those who are weary, those who are doing work and it's wearing you out, those who are toiling, those who are working hard, those who are tired, the heavy laden, that means those who are wearing a heavy load, those who have a burden, those who have something spiritually sitting on your back that just feels like the heaviest thing you could possibly carry. Jesus is inviting those who carry burdens and those who are tired, those who are exhausted, those who can't find anywhere else to go, Jesus invites those people to come. And the promise that he gives is, I will give you rest. Is that what you need? Do you need rest? Do you want rest? Do you feel tired? Do you feel like you're carrying heavy loads? Does that resonate with you at all? Jesus says, take something as well. Jesus says, it's not only about going to someone and receiving something. It's actually going and taking on something. Jesus is giving you something to take, not just as a gift, but as something to be responsible for as well. What does Jesus tell us to take? He says, take my yoke upon you. 
A lot of us live in city context now. Maybe you don't, maybe you haven't hung out with many oxen lately, but Jesus is inviting you to take on a yoke. A yoke is what, there's two, two things that one oxen is in one slat and another oxen's in another and you go forward together. It's a frame used to control working animals or in the case of humans to expedite the bearing of burdens, it says. But whose yoke is this? Is this just a random yoke? Jesus, is just Jesus just saying, come to me and there's a yoke over here. I'm gonna give it to you. You need to wear it. No, Jesus is saying, this is my yoke. I'm in one of the slats and there's another slat open and it's for you. And I want you to step into that with me. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. He wants to bear your burdens with you and he wants you to take on his burden as well. It's a mutual burden bearing. Willingly and freely, Jesus is stepping in to the yoke with you. Whatever burden you're carrying, what is Jesus carrying? What is his yoke? Well, the next little passage here says, Jesus says, learn from me. So he's like, you wanna know what my yoke is? I'll teach you. Come, come follow me and learn from me so that you see what my yoke is so we can see what he's carrying. What does Jesus choose to carry as part of his yoke? Well, there's a lot of things, but I'll just go to one explicit thing. Isaiah 53 verse four is way back 700 years before the time of the Messiah. And it's the prophet Isaiah foretelling about the coming of the savior. And this is what he says about the coming of the Messiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. What is Jesus offering to carry with you as part of the yoke? Your sorrow, your burdens, your griefs, the difficulties of your life. Jesus is saying, come to me and I'll help you carry them. I will step into the yoke with you. And that includes a whole host of things, your sins, your brokenness, your pain, Every part of your full self, Jesus says, I'll take it on. I'll take it willingly. Nothing is off limits. You don't have to leave anything to the side or share it with another God or find another therapist to help you with it. Jesus says, I'll take it all. I'll take 100% of your stuff, all of your history, all of your mental baggage, all of your physical baggage, all of your spiritual questioning. Jesus says, I'll take it, all of it. I'll be your one-stop shop. I'll monopolize all of it for you. Just come to me, take it on. You know, Jesus does a lot of teaching in the, in the gospels and we don't have time to obviously go through everything that Jesus teaches us or everything that we're to learn from Jesus. But when Jesus does ascend back up into heaven, right before he goes back up into heaven after the resurrection, he's giving the great commission. And Jesus does say, and maybe one of the more neglected parts of that teaching, Jesus says, go, baptize, disciple. But he also says, teach everybody to obey everything that I've commanded you. He says, teach it all. Jesus says, you should, be, you should have learned a whole lot from me by now, so pass it on. That includes the Sermon on the Mount. That includes the high priestly prayer. That includes all the healings that Jesus did, the way that Jesus sat with the broken, the way he went to the, to the sinful people. Jesus says, learn it all, take it all in. 
Spend your whole life learning from me and your life will be changed. Part of being called to Jesus means learning everything about him, learning about his ways, because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To be called by Jesus is to be called to follow him, to be his disciple, to follow after him everywhere he goes, to see what he teaches us, not what we want him to teach us, but what he actually teaches us. Things like love your enemies, things like turn the other cheek, things like bless those who persecute you. We need to learn from him those ways. Jesus tells us one extra thing about himself. He tells us one extra thing about himself that he wants us to learn. Jesus says, I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. It's the only place in the whole Bible where Jesus says, this is what my heart is like. The only place. You can search the whole Bible high and wide and there's only one place specifically, intentionally, where Jesus says, this is my heart. And he says it's gentle and he says it's lowly. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit or the humble in spirit. Because Jesus says, that's what my heart is. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. If we want to be like Jesus, we should be gentle and lowly in heart. Humility. The last thing that Jesus says is, you'll find something. When you come to me, when you take the burden, and when you learn from me, you'll find something that you can't find anywhere else. What is it? Rest. Rest. Jesus says you will find rest for your souls. What are you searching for in life? That's a, that's a question you should spend some time thinking about. What are you searching for? What are you looking for? Why are you here? What are you searching for? Above all else, Jesus tells us that he is able to offer us full soul rest. Is that really what you need? Is that really what you desire? Do you think your soul is exhausted? Are you tired? Are you weary? Jesus kind of makes the assumption here that it is. And I want to give you the excuse to admit that as well which takes humility. Find something in Jesus you can't find anywhere else. Whatever you're searching for in true earnestness, Jesus says you will find it. And maybe to summarize it, the purpose verse of all this is verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Basically, I mean, take the word for and just put the word because there and maybe it makes a little bit more sense for you. All this is true because... Jesus says, remember that yoke that I'm asking you to take on, which feels weird because it feels like we're a yard animal all of a sudden doing a heavy job. Jesus says, by the way, that yoke that all the other oxen are wearing, that's actually easy and it's light. It's not heavy. It's not embarrassing. It's not shameful. 
It's not going to require the hardest work of your life. It's actually easy and it's light. Now, when we hear the word easy, we may say, well, great. I'm off scot-free. This is great. I, it's not going to be hard. My life will be easy going forward. We need to dig into the word easy for just a moment. The word easy does not mean that it won't be hard. The word easy here, actually, if, if you look at other places in the New Testament where the same word is used in Greek, it's usually translated good or kind. It's a little bit different than easy, but maybe better. <laughs> My yoke is kind. My yoke is good. Jesus says it's not going to be easy as if it needs no practice. It may require some perseverance and it may come with difficulties, but it's good. It's kind. It is for you. It is for your benefit. This yoke is something that will lead you in a way that is better for you. And it's light, meaning that that one doesn't take as much parsing out. It's just, it's not heavy. It's not going to cause your back to hurt. It's not going to make your life worse. This is going to make your life better. Jesus calls us to partake in goodness with him. He does not call us to take on heaviness from him. He does not call us to religious rules or duties or moralism or exhaustion of trying to be a good person. Jesus calls us to take on the lightness of partaking in goodness with him, which is a relationship with the living God and a call to recognize that it's impossible for us to try to do this human life thing on our own. Jesus says, you need the yoke shared with me to live your life as a human in the way that it was supposed to be because of what we heard in Genesis 3. Jesus calls us to recognize our limitedness apart from him and our fullness with him. So that's the call of Jesus. Jesus calls that to each of us. He says, come to me. Take this light and easy yoke on you. Learn from me. Learn everything I'm teaching you. Find rest for your souls and your life will be transformed forever. Now, I want to take just a few moments to talk about what is the call of God in general? Because that's what we're talking about. We're, in general here, we're talking about how God calls to humans, how he speaks to each of us. What does it mean to be called by God? Because it can mean a couple of different things that I think each of us have probably wrestled with. Part of it is, have you been called by God? And secondly, it's a, what is my calling in life? They're connected. They have to go together. So first, just to give a definition to, to the call of God for a second, Oz Guinness wrote a book called The Call, which I'd recommend you reading if you're interested in learning more about the call of God. It's a great book. It's a classic. He defines calling this way. He says, calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, everything we have, is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and his service. So firstly, there is, a, there is the call of God, which is when God comes to you and reveals himself to you in such a way that you know it's him and he's inviting you to come to him. This is the salvation call that the Bible makes pretty explicit. 
And for those of you that trust in Jesus, you've had this moment where you felt God speaking to you and calling you, again, out of one way of life and to him. An explicit call. There is one call of God given to us to be relationally with him in a way that no one else calls us to. God calls us to himself so decisively. Do you hear that in the definition? So decisively that there are no other options in the world that actually can compare because this one is so decisive. God calls to you and he makes it known to you and you know it. You know that it's him. He's revealed to you. The curtain is opened and life is different because you feel like God has spoken directly to you because he knows the way of our life. And if you look through the Bible at different characters of the Bible, you just see this so explicitly laid out. God's call to Abraham, go and leave your homeland and go to the nation that I will show you. And I will make you the father of many nations. The call of God to Abraham. Think about Moses, calls him out of Egypt, takes him to the wilderness, conforms him to be this leader. So he goes back to lead the people out of Egypt and into freedom. Or the call of God to David, the call of, God, the call of Jesus to his disciples. He goes out to the fishermen and he says, follow me. That's the call of God. I'd love to hear your stories of the call of God in your life. Aaron mentioned just a snippet of his earlier. Wouldn't you love to hear more? Wouldn't you love to hear more about how God has called all of us? This is how God speaks to us, speaks to us with his voice. God is a speaking God. He spoke the world into, into being. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He used words. He's a speaking God. His voice is clear. And it's unmistakable when you recognize his voice. The initial call of your life is to relationship with Jesus, which is a salvation call. As one other pastor says, quote, salvation is not an invitation from a buddy, but it's a summons to a king. It's a summons to come to the king. That's what salvation is. But it's twofold, really. You know, we talk about the call of God, but we also talk about what is my calling in life? What am I to live out my days doing? What job am I to have? Who should I marry? Where should I live? What church should I go to? We, we, we stress about what is my calling? I want to have the biggest purpose in my life as possible. And that's only realized underneath the first call of God. But then the second calling of God is the ongoing discernment with God of what he calls each of us into. The life that he gives to us to walk faithfully behind. And honestly, I don't have guidance for you in that other than just listen in to the voice of God. Incline your ear to him and say yes to him when he's speaking to you. Say yes. And trust that whatever he is leading you into, that it's right for you. Because you are unique. Your calling is unique in the world. It's going to be different than Abraham's. It's going to be different than Aaron's. It's going to be different than mine. It's going to be yours. But God uniquely, personally calls you. We seek God by inclining our ear. And then the beautiful part about God is that he seeks us as well. He comes to us seemingly when we're not seeking him. We are, as Osgenes says again, we are the sought seeker. What a beautiful thought. As we seek God, he seeks us and we are the sought 
seeker. So what is your calling? It really doesn't matter. I mean, it does, but listen to him and just be faithful. Listen to him and be faithful and pursue relationship with him. Let me finish uh, the sermon with this. I want you to think just, I'm going to give you just a couple of probing questions for you to take with you uh, into your week this week. I'm going to do it first by giving you the illustration of the great and powerful Oz in The Wizard of Oz. If you've seen this movie or read the book, there's the great and powerful Oz, this great and terrifying voice behind this curtain that's filled with majesty and thunderous voice and lightning and and just fear and terror. He has authority and he's guiding Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Lion through this adventure through the land of Oz, demanding things, do this, do that. And then at the very end, not to spoil the movie, the dog goes and gets behind the curtain and pulls the curtain back and there's a man speaking into the microphone. And then the great and powerful Oz, now revealed, says, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. I want to give you that image for a moment because I think some of us might have the skepticism that that's what the call of God may be like. That it may come across to us in our early years or in our, in our, in our naive early years that maybe there's this big, mighty, powerful God, but as life gets harder or more difficult or more confusing or more challenging, maybe we just convince ourselves that, you know, maybe there's just a man behind the curtain who made up all this stuff that Jesus really wasn't who he said he was, that the come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, maybe that's just not really true. Maybe it's just a man behind the curtain. But then Genesis 3 comes back to us. And if the heart of God really is gentle and lowly, and if he really is humble in heart, then the God of Genesis 3, who sees humanity blatantly listening to a serpent, running away from him, hiding behind the trees in the garden, if God was not humble and gentle and lowly in that moment, then we know how he would deal with humanity at that moment. He would deal harshly. He would end the human project at that very moment. But what we see in that moment is that the God who speaks is also the God who walks with us. God was walking in the cool of the garden. Seemingly, he did that all the time. It didn't say this was the first time he was walking in the cool of the garden. He was walking in the cool of the garden. And the walking God and the speaking God become one. Because the walking God who was hanging out in the garden with Adam and Eve, even after they sin, calls out to Adam. Where are you? And in that moment, we learn the heart of God, that he is a seeker. He is a seeker of broken people. He's a seeker of sinful people. And he begins the process of putting us back together at that very moment. That is the heart of God for us. That is the call of God. He is the walking voice in that sense. He's not the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain who's revealed as a fraud. 
He's a good and kind God who seeks after us in our lowest place, and he comes to us. So is that your expectation of God? Is that your experience of him? Is that who you want him to be? Are you willing to give up the control of your life to say yes to the call of God? Are you willing to have your affections and your love completely changed by this God who's offering you unconditional love that no one else can offer? Are you willing to have your purpose in life changed by saying yes to him? Are you willing to count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus? If so, then your life can be changed in a beautiful way, but it'll never be the same. So I'm gonna conclude there. Let me pray for us as we prepare to approach the Lord's table uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray you be with each person uniquely at this moment. Give them a thoughtful, reflective, honest time with you as they prepare to receive uh, the Lord's Supper today. And if you're asking them to say yes or no to the question today, come to me, then I pray that you would give them the ability to, to say yes, but to really count the cost also. Thank you for what you've done for us in the person of Jesus. And thank you for giving us the church to investigate these things together in honesty and in curiosity. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.